From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. In a new choral work, singers imitate birds. It's an homage to the long-persecuted indigenous people of Guatemala. This was when they had to flee to the forest and hide. They would communicate using the sound of birds. This new show is an international collaboration between Colorado's Cantorai and singers in Guatemala. And both companies have learned lessons about music and history. Recognizing that the United States played a part in what transpired down there, allowing a new government to come in that enabled the genocide to happen. And this happened in our own backyard, just two borders away. And we turned a blind eye to it. Hi, I'm CPR's President Stuart Vanderwilt. I'm taking just a moment to speak to all of our valued members and to thank you for your continued support of Colorado Public Radio. The news and music services you rely on continue to grow to better serve communities across the state because of your generosity. Your membership matters, and we are so grateful for your support. It's Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. A Colorado choir is on stage tonight, 2,500 miles away from home. Members of Cantorai join singers in Guatemala in a new work called El Ultimo Hilo, The Last Thread. It sets the words of a Mayan poet to music by an American composer. This is the product of a long-distance collaboration that began years ago. Cantorai director Joel Rinsema is with us. Hi, Joel. Hi, Ryan. Great to be with you. And his counterpart in Guatemala is Karin Bruns. Hi, Karin. Hi, Ryan. So happy to be here. Glad you could join us. Joel, how did this collaboration get started? I understand Norway is actually involved in this, making it perfectly global. Norway is involved. Back in 2017, uh, Cantorai was promoting their next season. And so we were putting out all of our promotional materials on Facebook. And I noticed that on our Facebook feed, some people speaking Spanish took over our Facebook feed. And so I wondered who was who was chatting in Spanish under our posting for a concert that we were doing of Ola Yelo's music. Ola is a Norwegian who's actually living in New York now. And so I reached out to this person. I said, who are you and why are you taking over our feed? And uh, <laughs> sure enough, it was our good friend Karin Bruns from a choral group down in Guatemala. Yeah. And they were talking about coming up for our concert. And I said, well, come on up. You can wow. be our guests. And and I guess, uh, Karin, this is because you're a fan of this Norwegian composer. Yes, I, I was. We were doing his music here in Guatemala. And actually, the first thing I wanted was to invite him to come to Guatemala. And he, <laughs> he answered, I'm booked till 2022, I guess, or something. That was in 2017. So I kept look, uh, looking in the social media. And that's how I found about Cantorai, that he was going to be there. 
playing the piano for this brand new piece. And that's how this collaboration, this friendship started. And Karin, did you, so you came to Colorado first, right? I came to Colorado with another seven Capella Cantorum singers. Wow. After we were chatting with Joel that we wanted to go to the concert. So that's the first time we were there and met Joe. I had to make it very clear to them that while I had said, if you come, you can be our guests, that I wasn't offering to pay for them to come. <laughs> uh, and so It's a nonprofit arts organization, people. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, but sure enough, they came up and uh, it was pretty funny because they said, well, is there any place out by the airport that we can just stay? And I said, uh, you don't want to stay at the airport. You don't want to stay yeah. at the airport. So they rented a van and we were doing a high school festival that's same week uh, that Oliela was here. And so we invited them to participate in that festival, and they sang a, a set of Guatemalan uh, traditional music, and they actually joined us in concert in performing some of the pieces. My goodness, it's just the most beautiful example of how music can connect beyond borders. So let's talk about this latest collaboration. Karin, El Ultimo Hilo features the work of poet Umberto Acabal. He's uh, from the Quiche group of the Mayan people. And w- what does uh, Umberto tend to write about? Well, Umberto writes a lot about nature. He has this beautiful poetry. And also he writes about his perspective of all the suffer and the genocide back in the 50s till 96, when the treaty was signed, the peace treaty. You're speaking here of the suffering during the Mayan genocide of that period during during the country's civil war, sometimes known as the silent genocide, correct? Exactly, yeah. And Akabal writes about that period. And I wonder, is that a name then that you got familiar with, Joel, when you went down to Guatemala yourself or...? Not when I first went down there. After Capella Cantorum joined us in performance, Karin and the group invited me down there to conduct them in the concert of Olielo's music. And I came away so moved by that experience that I wanted to help give something back to the people of Capella and to Karin and to the people of Guatemala. And so it was then that I decided that I really wanted to work with Cantorai in commissioning a new piece of, of, of music for them. And I didn't know exactly what that would look like, um, and I didn't know which texts would be set. Mm. And so the first task was finding the right composer. That's when I was introduced to Jake Runnestead's music. And I fell in love with Jake's music, his attention to detail, but most importantly, his attention to the texts that he was setting. And so I talked to Jake about this collaboration. He, he was very excited. He's fluent in Spanish, which was very important to me because I wanted the piece written in Spanish and maybe some English. But then I went about setting and uh, trying to find the right texts. And I simply Googled Guatemalan poet. Oh. And time and time again, Umberto Acabal's uh, poetry came up. And, and I fell in love with his poetry. And I sent a bunch of his poems to Jake. And like me, Jake was just uh, captured with his poetry. So I wonder, Karin, what Acabal means to you, his work? Yeah. When Joel asked me about like writers from Guatemala, the like top of mind for us, it's Miguel Ángel Asturias. He won the Premio Nobel, the how did this prize. He, the Nobel and the Nobel Prize. Yep. The Nobel Prize. And he's like, there's a sculpture of Miguel Ángel Asturias here in Guatemala. The National Theater is called Miguel Ángel Asturias. 
So that's what I had in mind. So I'm so glad that it was Joel that went into the internet just to look for poetry from Guatemala because here in Guatemala, I mean, you have high class and then you have like lower class, but there's not too much like a middle class. Hmm. And the thing is that we grow up and we know something about indigenous and Mayan, but it's not that much. And that's what I like about this because it was Joel that found him. And he is now with this, like my mom, she didn't know much about Akabal. And now she's completely in love with his poetry. Wow. And I found that beautiful because it's also a gift for us to really look into our roots and see what the beauty we have here and what amazing poets also from the indigenous people we have here. So it's been also like a process to for me to discover who this person is. Yes, it was a journey of discovery for you both. So I think we should hear yeah. some more music at this point. Uh, so Akabal's words, and then the composer is the U.S. composer Jake Runestad. And I believe this is uh, from a Cantorai concert in March, the piece Resistiendo, R- Resistance, Resisting. Karin, could you maybe give us some of the English words there? Where were you when these things happened? Why do you favor the murderers? Erupt volcanoes, burn fire, earth split open and swallow everything, everything, everything. Sun, turn into smoke, smear the sky, burn the earth. We are in mourning. My very favorite line of Resistiendo are the last two lines, actually. What they have not been able to possess is the Nawal, which is the spirit. They never will. Mm. I wonder, Joel, if, if there are parts to this chapter in history that speak to you as someone from the United States. When I read Akabal's poetry and we perform the music, I can't help but be angry, frankly. Mm-hmm. Because as I've done a little bit more research about what happened in Guatemala and recognizing that the United States played a part in what transpired down there, whether that be through um, assisting in the overthrow of the government, allowing a new government to come in that enabled the genocide to happen. Mm. And this happened in our own backyard, just two borders away. And we turned a blind eye to it.
Let's talk about another of the pieces here, Cantos de Pajaros. And it springs from Akabal's love of nature, but there, there is a backstory that has to do with the war going on at the time. What's it about? Yeah. This was when they had to flee to the forest and hide, and they would communicate using the sound of birds so that no one find them where they are hidden in the forest. portions of this are no words, just sounds, Joel. They are just sounds, um, but he himself would sit and listen to the birds and then write down what he thought he heard in the bird songs. Wow. Clis, 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 or buscuris, 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 which is actually the Mexican whippoorwill, buscuris. My goodness, it really is a reimagining a reinvention of poetry to me. Mm-hmm. I have to say that, Karin, my mind is a bit blown. Uh, I wonder what you thought the first time you, you'd seen things like that on the page and maybe then heard them. I couldn't believe what was written, what he wanted to tell in this poem. And this is part of Jake's research. And actually, he's the one that told us about this. Again, Jake is the composer. Yeah, and he is the one that found out that it was the way to, that they would communicate when they were hidden in the forest. So for me, before that, this was just like hearing birds, but I couldn't understand the context. So it was very powerful when he explained that was what they did to communicate. It's code. Yeah. Absolutely code. code, yes. My yes. goodness. Absolutely. Joel, can you speak at all to how the composer, Jake Renestad, matched the words to the music? It's always amazing to me how composers do just that, how they sit down, read a bunch of words, and then figure out a way to put them to music. Yeah. It's not my talent. No, um, nor mine. Yeah. But Jake gathered all this poetry that I sent to him, did his own research, and wrote them out on note cards and set them down on a table and just moved them around until they made they made a narrative that maybe was not the narrative that Umberto Acabal originally uh, had planned on. Acabal never imagined that Cantos de Pajaros would be set in this way, in this yeah. multi-movement piece. Mm. But the way Jake was able to tie that in with another poem just before it that talked about calling on the birds to come cry with him uh-huh. is just amazing. Huh. And, and, and so... Yeah. And that's part of the artistry, right? He, absolutely. And it's why we chose Jake to collaborate with in this because of his sensitivity uh, uh, to the text and the importance of the text in his compositions. Uh, do I have it right, Joel, that on one of your trips to Guatemala, you actually went to Umberto Acabal's home? Yes. What yes. stood, what stood yeah. out there? Well, when I stumbled across Umberto Acabal online, um, I then looked up and found out he had just passed away a, a year 
prior. Oh my goodness. And so last summer, Jake Runestead and I uh, went down to Guatemala. And as part of that trip, we went to his home village of Momostanango, which is a little bit north and east of Guatemala City, out in the middle of nowhere, frankly, and really hard to get to. Mm. There we went to his studio, which was left intact from when he passed away. There's art all over the walls and books, thousands and thousands of books. Umberto loved to read. He, While he dropped out of school when he was a, in eighth grade, I believe, he never lost his passion for learning and reading. And uh, we met his mother, and his oh, mother wow. mother gave us a tour of the grounds there, and then actually walked us through the town of Momostanango to Umberto's grave. And so Jake and I were able yeah. to put our hands on Umberto's grave. Uh, I imagine, Karin, that you've been there, and I wonder what you feel when you're there. Yeah, I was with them, and I would say that trip and that visit, it, it trans- do you say transformed our lives? Yeah. It touched us in a way just to be in his house and hear about his story, it changed us, I would say. This is the namesake piece, El Ultimo Hilo, again, the last thread. And uh, Joel, might you interpret here a bit for us? If you look at just the words and read it, it's simply about a sunset. That's all it is. It's about a sunset. But knowing what Umberto's really writing about, it's, again, going back to resistance. The darkness is coming over us. But there's still a little ray of hope. Hmm. It's that, that moment when the sun, here in the Rockies, when the, when, when the sun goes down and you just see a little sliver of light at the end. And but sometimes was, it's the most beautiful light. Most beautiful light. Yeah. And that, that was Umberto's hope, that even with all the darkness, there's still a ray of hope. Anything you want to add, Karim? I mean, with this piece, it's about Umberto's life and, and all this suffering for the indigenous people, but it's also talking to us and how we've been through difficult times in our lives and how we should never like, lose hope. And that, it's very powerful. Mm. So it speaks to the very broad 
national pain of a genocide, but then there's this idea of your own personal journey within it. How do you think Akabal Karin got to a place of hope? Ha, very hard to answer that question because hmm. I don't know how he did it. I mean, we live lives that are so privileged in a way. I can't imagine all the suffering of Humberto and still not lose hope. I think that's something, and I would say very special people can do that because I don't know how he did it, actually. Mm -hmm. Joel? While Humberto Acabal is not well known in the United States, and even in his own backyard in Guatemala City, his words have been translated into a number of different languages all across the world. And, and I think that that's the, probably his hope was that his words and the translations of his words could be spread around the world. And that's in some way how we're playing our own role in that, is that we're elevating his art to a much broader audience uh, with that message of hope. Um, Cutting's right. You know, he experienced racism in its ugliest forms in Guatemala, being uh, Mayan, uh, Quiche Mayan, and living in Guatemala City and experiencing the, yeah, the racism against the Mayan peoples. But yet the man still had a sliver of hope. Thank you both for being with us. Great to be with you. Thank you, Ray. Karin Bruns, founder of Vocalis in Guatemala, and Joel Rinsema, director of Cantorai, based here in Colorado. They've collaborated on a years-long project called El Ultimo Hilo, The Final Thread. It features the work of Mayan poet Humberto Acabal, chronicling the Mayan genocide during Guatemala's civil war. With producer Michelle P. Fulcher, I'm Ryan Warner, and this is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. Ballots are out for this year's primary election in Colorado, and nearly everyone gets to participate. Republicans, Democrats, unaffiliated. Who's running? What are the issues? How do you cast your vote? I'm Megan Verlee from the CPR Newsroom. Find out what you need to know to fill out your ballot online at CPR.org. And on Tuesday, June 28th, hear full coverage of the primary here on CPR News and on the Colorado Public Radio app.
Manufactured homes have long been one of the most affordable housing options, but there's often a big drawback: higher energy costs due to thin windows and poor insulation. As CPR's Sam Brash reports, new federal efficiency standards might help without putting the homes out of reach. Visit Angela Ortiz Raja's home in Boulder. You're met with unbridled enthusiasm from her dog Poma. It's okay. He can jump up on it. Oh, hey, uh, Ortiz Roa moved to this single wide months before the pandemic. After living in a much smaller, affordable apartment, she says a pet is just one benefit of her new home. There's space for keyboards and drums to play music with her son. You know, I'm from Colombia, so I like dancing and music, and so I get to do it all here. Room for all her plants. I have so many plants. I love them. And an extra corner to make compost for them. I have composting worms. You're not going to believe it, but I have worms that are composting right there right now. Yes. Her biggest frustration with the home? The energy bills. In the winter, she says she often pays more than 100 bucks a month, which she thinks has to do with leaky patches in the floor. When you walk bare feet in the winter, you can feel maybe some gaps in the lining at the bottom where it gets like the floor is extremely cold. And Ortiz Roa isn't alone. Federal data show mobile homes use about 35% more energy per square foot than detached single-family homes. Part of the reason is how these homes are built. In most cases, states or local governments set standards for site-built homes, and those standards are updated every few years. Manufactured homes are different. They're delivered on truck beds and often cross state lines. That's why the federal government sets building standards for those homes. And due to a long list of political and bureaucratic hangups, the Department of Energy has issued new energy efficiency rules for factory built homes for the first time in almost 30 years. I mean, energy prices are high, and this is exactly why we've got to continue to push on energy efficiency measures so that people are not paying for electricity that is going out the windows, going out the doors. This is U.S. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm. I had the chance to ask her about manufactured homes during a recent visit to Colorado. Following a court order, her office announced new energy efficiency standards for manufactured housing last month. And so we want to make sure that the newer, the newer manufactured homes that are, that are being sold are efficient so that they don't waste money. But here's the thing. The final policy creates two tiers of standards, one for larger manufactured homes requiring thick insulation, windows, and air sealing, and a looser standard for smaller, single-wide homes. Grand Home says that's designed to make sure the cheapest homes stay affordable. We are recognizing that the upfront purchase price is important as well, and so we wanted to strike the balance. The final standards for manufactured homes disappointed energy efficiency advocates. Lowell Unger directs federal policy for the American Council for an Energy Efficient Economy. We think that the Biden administration really missed an opportunity here. Unfortunately, they've barely changed the standards for smaller homes. And we fear that the residents of those homes are going to be paying high energy bills for decades to come. Meanwhile, manufactured home builders say the final approach is too stringent and will reduce affordable housing options. Industry groups plan to fight its implementation and enforcement. Angela Otis Roja, the Boulder Mobile Home resident, works on climate justice issues for the city. And in that job, she says this conflict is too familiar. Affordability is often at odds with efforts to reduce greenhouse gases or improve energy efficiency. It's one thing or the other. It's either like we find an affordable housing home that we can afford or we care too much about the planet, but then we can afford it. Like, it's just always at this divide instead of allowing people to have both. She isn't sure how that's possible for manufactured homes, but says there's no question about the goal. 
Somehow, the country needs cheap homes like hers that don't doom residents to decades of high energy costs. I'm Sam Brash, CPR News. And I'm Ryan Warner. You're with Colorado Matters on listener-supported CPR News and KRCC.